This is episode 225 of IDRA Class Notes. It is not an accessible process for the general public. It is not an accessible process for people who don't have the time or resources to be at the Capitol all day, every day, keeping tabs on what legislators are doing. There's no real accountability systems for them, but then there are also these like little moments of kind of awesomeness. I love that people are able to speak on these bills. I just wish that was a more consistent and reliable process. And I wish that it seemed like public comment was more taken into account. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Class Notes podcast. This is episode one of two of our special series featuring reflections from our IDRA Georgia education policy team. My name is Morgan Craven. I'm the National Director of Policy Advocacy and Community Engagement at IDRA, and I'm so excited to host this podcast series. You're going to be hearing from Team Georgia, our Director of Regional Policy and Community Engagement, Terrence Wilson and our amazing Georgia Education Policy Fellow, Michaela Arciaga. Please check out their bios and work using the link that you see in this podcast. Today, Terrence and Michaela will share their reflections about the Georgia legislative session that recently ended, including what they learned about state-level education policymaking in Georgia, what it's like to be an advocate of color fighting for students of color in the state, the good, bad, and ugly of the 156th Georgia Legislative Session and their thoughts on the future of advocacy. So welcome, Georgia team, Terrence and Michaela. Are we ready to get started? We are. Thank you, Morgan. Yeah, it's exciting to be here. Awesome. So we're going to start out with uh, talking about the Georgia Legislative Session. And I would love for each of you to describe the work that you did during the session generally. And Michaela, can we start with you? So I think as the fellow, in some ways, it felt like I was like onboarding the whole time. And so a lot of what I was doing was trying to learn about some of these issues while also advocating against and or for some of them. Um, So I was doing a lot of researching. I was reading a lot. But then I also got to really focus on some of our partner organizations and coordinating with them and learning how to coordinate large groups of people who have similar goals, but not necessarily the same levels of access or the same bandwidth to be able to address some of the issues that we cared about. So coordinating like a coalition of people was a lot of what I spent time doing and just working with particularly like our youth partners and some of our educator partners is what I I focused a lot of my time and energy on. And for my part, I think the main way that I would describe the work that we did is really providing support for all of the groups that were down there, whether they be advocacy organizations, whether they be our uh, youth-led advocates, but also providing support to those legislators that did want to do positive things and that did want to respond to the issues that were there. And so we provided lots of support to all of those different folks while we were there and really wanting wanting to help amplify the voices of those that are directly impacted by these educational decisions that are being made, whether that be educators, whether that be students, whether that be families, uh, parents and caregivers, uh, really wanting that those folks to be at the front of the conversations and figuring out different ways to amplify their voices was a lot of the work that we did during the legislative session. And there are lots of opportunities for us to do that and to support those folks. And it wouldn't have been able to happen without all of us working together. 
Thank you both. And thank you both for the amazing work that you did over the course of the session. One thing that I find interesting about both of your answers and definitely the way that we work at IDRA is that there's a simultaneous focus on the substance of what is happening in policymaking and then also how we are engaging in the process of policymaking itself and what we are doing to change that process to make it more inclusive. So thank you for your work on both of those fronts. And I kind of want to dig into those two areas. So first, can you talk about some of the most challenging issues addressed by the Georgia legislature this session and the most concerning approaches to policymaking that you saw? And Michaela, can we start with you again? Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of knew this was coming just based off what was happening last year and what happened in Texas and what's happening in some of the other states. But the conversations about racism and whether or not students can should, and if they can, how they should learn about racism um, was kind of at the forefront of the session. It was a conversation in almost, it felt like every ed committee meeting. That, and then also some focus on like our LGBTQ youth was very much at the forefront, particularly when it came to athletics. That didn't show up until it felt like more towards the middle of the, the session, but it definitely was very prevalent through the end. One other issue that we saw a lot of conversation around was the role of parents or caregivers in the education of their children. And so it's interesting that this is something that at IDRA we talk often about and is really central to our approach to education policy advocacy is making sure that parents and caregivers, families are involved. But the conversation that we heard at the legislature this year was very, very different. It was not a collaborative approach like the one that we advocate for. It was one where really we're setting up parents against folks in the school. And we really know that, you know, a lot of these efforts were targeted at materials, at curriculum that is uh, not diverse and that really seeks to remove some of the access that students have to stories and to information about their own experience. And so we know that we've seen over the past few years a move for folks to have a larger understanding about race in this country, a, a racial awakening in a lot of ways. And our students have been right there, you know, marching at the forefront and wanting to have these conversations. And so it really set up an environment through the legislation that was ultimately passed that would, you know, set parents in the way of some of that progress that we uh, have seen in terms of having an understanding about some of these issues. And so the things that we've seen were definitely challenging, but we've also, again, saw a lot of folks step up to give the opposite side of a lot of the arguments that we heard, trying to work with educators and trying to trust educators and trying to amplify the voices of students so that they have curricula that's important to them. You know, all of these things are what we saw during the legislative session on both sides. Thank you for that. And so to this second piece of like the how of all this happens, and you both start to touch on this, but Michaela, I'm curious, especially as a person who for you was learning the process of state policymaking, what are some of your thoughts on that process generally in the Georgia legislature, the procedure of it all, how transparent things were? What did you kind of take away from your experience? I think coming in, I just left the classroom like nine months before I started this role. And so I was learning a lot of this for the first time. And in some ways, it was kind of reassuring that I hadn't just been neglecting this process and that it really is super frustrating to try and access and be part of and pay attention to. 
I remember there were bills that came out in like 2021. And I remember hearing about them while I was still in the classroom and and thinking like, this is a terrible idea. Like, why is this something that's happening? But then it just kind of went away. And I kind of was caught up in the frustrations of school and being a teacher and having a pretty limited bandwidth. I'm realizing now that that's kind of by design. It is not an accessible process for the general public. It is not an accessible process for people who don't have the time or resources to be at the Capitol all day, every day, keeping tabs on what legislators are doing. We, as a group, collectively refer to the shenanigans of the session. And I almost thought that was a dramatization until it was literally every week we were getting meetings canceled last minute, getting public comment canceled last minute after trying to coordinate 40 people to come give public comment on a terrible bill. And the unfortunate thing is, I mean, like those deviations are dictated by the party in power or the the people in power. And these, these authority figures, there's no real accountability systems for them. So they can choose not to take public comment. The only accountability is kind of the court of public opinion. And then it falls on us, the advocates, to make sure that the public knows what is happening, which adds just this other layer of difficulty to to getting things done and producing actual meaningful policy. So I have a lot of thoughts. The main thing is just like frustration. But then there are also these like little moments of kind of awesomeness and joy of like seeing a, a young person come forward and speak and speak with confidence about an issue that they know a lot about. I love that people are able to speak on these bills. I just wish that was a more consistent and reliable process. And I wish that it seemed like public comment was more taken into account. Which is a perfect segue to my next question. And maybe Terrence as a seasoned advocate. So Michaela started to talk about some of the things that like she wished could happen and wish could change. So what changes do you feel are crucial that we have to make to make sure that the legislature operates in a way that is more accessible for advocates, for community members, for young people, for families to be able to engage in the policymaking process? I mean, I think, first of all, we have to make it a priority. We can't have it be happenstance where students and families are able to participate if, you know, a meeting just so happens to fall in a time that they may be available that day. I think that there really needs to be a more robust mechanism to collect public comment right now. The only way you really have to collect comment is if you're in the room, in person, in Atlanta. And we know that that really does not allow for us to hear voices from outside the metro area and and really doesn't allow for us to hear voices of working people, for people who, you know, students who are actually in school during the time where they're having these sessions, right? You can have a session later on in the evening. You can have a session uh, on the weekend, right? There are different ways that we can collect this information if we wanted to have it. And I think the first thing we really have to do is prioritize it. We have to be able to use the technology available. We know that over the past few years, we've really developed the capacity to use virtual kinds of opportunities to bring people in that way. So I think that that's another opportunity for us. But I think it's also just recognizing the needs that communities have and going out to talk to them, not just during session, but between session, right? It's going to communities collect information about the things that are important to them, right? So whether that be going and and having surveys done or having different ways for legislators to have town halls when these issues are going on, I think it's really important for us to not rely on communities to have to come to the Capitol, but it's really important for us to find ways for us to go to communities to collect this information. So I think there are lots of structural things that we can do, but the first thing that we've got to do is make it a priority. And 
you know, the final thing I will say is that when someone comes from across the state to come and give testimony, it's really disheartening to turn those folks away just because you say you don't have time. You know, there are multiple times during the legislative session where we said, oh, we only have one hour for a meeting or, oh, we've got to get to our next meeting. And it really devalues the the time, energy and effort of the folks coming to give testimony. So I think that any time that you come down to the Capitol, you should be able to give your testimony, whether it be in the legislative hearing or in the legislative office. You should really have the opportunity for that person, for that legislator to hear what you have to say, because ultimately, they work for you. Our legislators work for us. And, you know, we are the ones that should be dictating the decisions that they're making. And so I would do all of those different things to improve how communities and how families are involved in the process. Because right now, uh, as Michaela mentioned, it is not very open and accessible for all folks. Thank you for that. Very well said. Michaela, did you want to add anything? Yeah. Can I add on just a little bit to that? I think something else that I would like to see different is the way that they treat the people that are advocates that are coming to the Capitol. Something that I didn't really realize until afterward is there was this hostility towards people that are quote unquote, like paid to be there, which is just their general blanket term for the lobbyists. But what that doesn't address is if you come to the Capitol four or more times, you're expected to register as a lobbyist. So even if you're like a student who has cares and wants to come and speak about ed committee hearings, if you come to the Capitol more than four times, you're expected to register. Whether or not that's upheld is pretty gray of an area, but there's this hostility towards people who are there, but they neglect to realize like they've made this so inaccessible for anybody that's not paid to be there as a professional. And so if they really truly do want to hear from community members, one, you can't undermine the the advocates that are, are have the resources to be there. And two, you need to make it accessible for other people that are not paid to be there. And additionally, I say 100%. And let's not act like there aren't paid lobbyists that get all sorts of access to elected officials. That's just kind of a known situation when it comes to elected officials in politics in general. Exactly. Singling out some people sounds a little hypocritical to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate that. That's very interesting feedback. So Michaela, while you are talking about this experience, maybe we can shift and just say, what's one thing that you're most proud of personally from your accomplishments this legislative session? I actually have two. My first one is like my little personal thing that I'm going to put in my box of wins, which is giving testimony in a public hearing. I've been a teacher for five years, but at the same time, I have a pretty bad fear of public speaking and they are not the same thing. Now that I've done both, I can very confidently say they are not the same thing. But I was really like working on testimony, delivering testimony, especially in a way that felt confrontational because it was about something that was deeply personal to me. And it was in opposition to all of the testimony we were hearing from a lot of the legislators was a huge accomplishment for me. And I I look forward to like getting better at that process. But even just doing it was a win for me. And then the other accomplishment was this group of people that we brought together specifically for education. There was kind of this vacuum, and I hope that wasn't yours, Terrence, but there was kind of this vacuum in the education world of like people that are focusing on curricular issues, people that are focusing on um, censorship. And we were able to bring a lot of those folks together because before that they were kind of working in silos. And so creating this network of people that now know each other and coordinate with each other was super rewarding. Thank you. We're super proud of you for both of those things, Terrence. I think for our part, it's really being able to be in the room and to tell the story 
when other folks were not able to. There were several committee hearings where we heard bills saying that, you know, we should not be teaching about race or that, you know, we should be banning books that may have an impact for, you know, LGBT folks or all of these things. And that I'm most proud of being able to be in those rooms and to give the other side of the story to say that this is not what our students need. This is not what our communities need. You know, sometimes because of all the challenges we mentioned, me or Michaela, we'd be the only ones available. And so that ability to be there and to speak up and to put on record the things that we know are true because we're talking to communities is one of the things that I think is the most rewarding part of this job for me. You know, we don't always win, but I think that not letting things slide and not letting the public think that there's only one way to think about these issues and really just highlighting the impact that these things have on students and families. You know, a lot of times we can talk about issues from with a political lens. A lot of times we can talk about issues from a financial lens. But when we come and we talk, it's from an equity lens, right? We are talking about the impact on historically marginalized groups, right? On students with limited economic resources, on LGBT students. And these are students that we know would have an opinion if they were able to be there. But they're also students that we want to work beside and work with to make sure that they're protected and valued. So being able to highlight that value within the context of the legislative session is something that I find very personally rewarding. And I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to do that at IDRA. Yes, and that is a huge win in and of itself. I'm just gonna jump right from sort of that, what, what you were saying about being the only ones in the room and add a dimension to that. You, Terrence, and Michaela both identify as people of color, so I would love to focus on what that experience was like being an advocate in the Georgia legislature as two people of color and just ask, like, you know, there are certainly benefits and challenges to that. What benefits and challenges did you recognize and experience as advocates of color in statewide policymaking? Terrence, do you want to start? Yeah. Me being a Black person in the legislative session, the first thing that is a challenge is just the fact that in the advocate community, in the larger advocate community, right, including paid lobbyists, including other folks that have access to legislators, it is not a very diverse group of folks writ large, right? So I think that we're already in a smaller minority in terms of giving our perspectives. And I think that there's often times where you feel othered in the way that you are interacted with, right? You'll see a lobbyist and a legislator having a conversation and there's this rapport and then you come to the conversation and they kind of already know what you're coming to say, right? As soon as they see me, they kind of get their hackles up, they get their defenses on, right? And, And there's a little bit of an adversarial kind of relationship because of the way that I approach the work, having equity be at the center, you know, valuing and centering our students of color. So I think that that is one of the challenges that I've seen. But on the other side of it, I think also folks can know that if they need an answer and I need an approach that can speak to that experience, they also know like where to find me, right? They know that Michaela and I were there, that if they wanted to know how, you know, students of color might be impacted by a particular policy, they know that we could be there for them. So I think that that was one of the things that really stood out to me as a person of color in the legislature this year, 
And I think that's something that, you know, one of the reasons why we have the programs that we have, trying to encourage more students, more families, and, you know, more advocates, right, through our, through our policy fellows program. It's important to have those folks in the room to speak to those perspectives, right? And I can speak from my own personal perspective, not something that I've heard or read. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I'm multiracial, and I was predominantly raised by, like, my white mother. And I was raised in like a predominantly white community where there were not a lot of Asian kids to begin with, and then even fewer mixed race or multiracial kids at all. And so I think I I felt a lot of that in our session and in our assembly. In the South, the conversations do tend to be very black and white, no, no pun intended. And, and so there doesn't always feel like there's space for other voices. There is an Asian caucus. It's very small and there's only a few of them, but there there's a large group of an increasing group of Asian advocates and organizers. And one, I found people who had similar identities to me in this space, which was really comforting in some ways, because I think that those feelings of otherness and othering that Terrence talked about is really prevalent. I mean, every person of color knows that feeling of walking into a space where it's you're the only person of color and our capital is like that every single day, or it's like these little pinpricks of people and light that you, you start to know. And so kind of finding your, your people, I guess, and finding the people in those space that you can ally with that are working towards the same issues as you and are as passionate about equity and social change as you are, was really what helped get me through this session. Cause there were some really demoralizing moments where you have people who are talking about an experience that they have no idea they're speaking of it from like the third person. They have no idea what it's actually like, but speaking with the confidence that they think they know what it's like. And you can only say you're wrong so many times before it's like, you know, they're not really hearing you. And so knowing that there are people that have the similar experiences, have similar passions and are still working and still fighting for the same things. It kind of helps keep the motivation there and the inspiration there and the, the morale up, I think helps to have people that, you know, know what it's like. I love that so much. And I would love to just sort of wrap up with something along those lines, Michaela and Terrence, if you want to start, just if you have any closing thoughts, like what keeps you going in this work, especially when it gets to be emotionally tough to do, personally, um, especially when you see the things that are being pushed forward by people in power and how they will affect communities that you connect with and deeply care about, like, what are some things that keep you going in this work? I really think that the community and however you conceptualize your community, like, you know, the places where we actually live, right, where I've got friends and family, who I can talk to about these issues, that community keeps me sustained. Our advocacy community, which I should mention is, is a multiracial, you know, we've got advocates of all different identities that are involved in this work. But a lot of times when something bad would happen, we'd have a conversation afterward and it would immediately turn from anger or disgust to, you know, thinking about how we can move forward that energy. And so I think the community, however you define it, is something that can keep you going. And I think the larger point for me is, you know, being a Black person, being tuned into the Black experience, right? Like a lot of times folks see that as 
you know, a hard thing to do, right? Given all the policies that are passed and a lot of the experiences that we have as Black people in this country. Uh, but I really feel that it's being able to tap into something that's really positive and something that's really enriching and something that's really powerful and strong and being able to be inspired by other advocates, right? Young advocates, you know, uh, our students of color were amazing this session, right? So having those folks be a part of my community is something that has sustained me through a lot of the emotional tolls that happened during the legislative session. And it's something that continues to motivate me to want to do this work is because we're always growing our community. Our community now is way larger than it was in the past. We're going to continue to grow and continue to support each other. Thank you. Okay. I mean, I think I feel the same way. I I, th- I think I hit on it a little bit that like the people that are doing this work with you are are the ones who also help you get through the work. But I, I think it's important, and I think we as a team do this really well, like to take the time to unpack when things are really rough and when we have had a particularly hard loss or just a really bad day. I think we've always taken time to kind of unpack our feelings around that and just the impact of that, because it is deeply personal for a lot of us, for most of us. Most of us are not speaking about this from an objective perspective. This is our lives, people we care about or that we're talking about. So I think having people that you share the work with, but also that you share other parts of your life with, I think truly building that community and, and taking the time to build connections with these people that aren't all so centered around work was really important. So like, one of those groups of people, a few of the women in our group, actually just a few people, and it's mixed now. We started a book club and none of our books have anything to do with social justice or current events. It's all like obscure fantasy or sci-fi or things that allow us to kind of disconnect and take space from the work, but still do together is just a way that I think I can stay plugged in, but also don't have to be on for the work all the time. Having those people who I know I can talk to because they get it, but also have the space to just be ourselves and not have to be advocates all the time is really, I think, important. I think that's great. Let's end it there. Again, this is the first of a series focused on our Georgia education policy team and their work. Thank you both so much for your thoughts. Thank you for the work that you did during this session, the work that you will continue to do. We appreciate you both so much, Terrence and Michaela. And thank you all for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.